Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. It's Pinko Kami Sluts, guys. Hi, we're here. I'm Bunny. Hello. It's May. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Steve. I'm Marlo. We're all here. It's uh, the middle of May. The Ides, uh, well, the day after the Ides of May. What's the Ides of May? What, what, let's let's designate that canonically right now. I would assume it would be the 15th. <laughs> yes, but... Yeah, well, no, the Romans were just, like, stupid and didn't know how to count, so they had to, like, name all their shit. So they were like, oh, well, you have the dog days, you have the Ides, you have, you know... Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, my parents recently dug up their fucking weed paraphernalia from the 1970s, so that's cool. What does it look like? <laughs> well, it, my dad has this incredibly stupid hookah, but there's a famous family tale where my dad was smoking it with his friends because his mom worked and, like, of all the people in the, like, late 60s, early 70s, most of their moms didn't work, so... Because his mom worked, his house was the den of iniquity. And so they were smoking a hookah at his house. Little did they know, because, you know, my why would my dad know this? It was a Jewish holiday, and uh, my grandmother, uh, Baba, uh, taught at a yeshiva. And so she absolutely wasn't working and uh, <laughs> just came home from the store to find them uh, smoking out of this goddamn hookah. And she said, uh, you boys need to leave. And Mitchell, I want that lamp put away. Uh, <laughs> so it's like this famous story of my family's. Uh, and then like, there's like a bong. There's like a couple of bongs. I like that your dad was fi- a famous weed dealer, and that's how your mom. And yeah, well, no, my dad was absolute. Well, that's the other thing is like, my dad found this fucking uh, lamp of his and, like, texted it to, like, his buddy from high school. And, like, he's inadvertently started this group chat with all his fucking, like, stoner-ass, uh, dazed and confused friends who all vote for Trump now. <laughs> like, yeah, no, he was absolutely, like, cool, skinny Jewish pothead from Dazed and Confused would be, like, my dad in high school. And, yeah, he... Uh, his school, uh, Upper Marion High, apparently did win for, like, biggest stoner school in, like, whatever 1970s issue of High Times was out there. And he uh, won the superlative for uh, biggest pothead, or I think they called it Space Cadet at the time. <laughs> um, and, like, yeah, so, like, it because uh, it was the 70s, and they were like, oh, what if we just, like, kids do whatever the fuck they wanted? So, like, the kids, like, got to, like, collectively decide what the like graduation ceremony would be 
Yeah, so they had like an actual superlative given out because my dad just smoked a massive amount of weed and he was given like a shoebox full of paraphernalia and a ceremony in front of his parents. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's my dad and we found his hookah. Nice. I've nice. not smoked out of it, have smoked out of the bong. Uh, it's all right. I mean, it's a bong. It's not the best bong ever. It's no roar, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we're going into beep beep lettuce territory. Oh yeah, no, we're taking all of these other podcasts on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if only we could challenge them to a duel. Yeah, some bullshit about mids or whatever. I don't, I don't fuck that. <laughs> I can see Bryn coming on here. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. We got some mutuals on Facebook. Yeah, I. Uh... I didn't know my parents smoked weed until my dad confiscated some weed for my sister. And uh, this was in the early 2000s. And he was like, the Patriot Act, the Patriot Act, they'll pull you over for anything. So that was his reasoning, right? And uh, my parents went out of town and um, I was like, you know what? I bet he didn't throw that weed away. There's no way my dad, like whatever, you know, it was like I had suspected, but I didn't know for sure. So I went looking for it and uh, I found it in a shoebox in his closet along with all uh, his weed, which was trash <laughs> and uh, his paraphernalia, which was like a very sad little pipe. <laughs> Look like he got it at like a gas station. Didn't know like even yeah. where to go. Yeah, my mom's got that NJ Med card. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, yeah, no, now it's a whole different thing. This was like way back. Yeah, no, then. now it's just like boomers have made it legal for themselves and only themselves to smoke. It's great. Mm -hmm. uh, oh my God. And they cannot handle this medicinal marijuana. Yeah. My parents get so stoned. My parents <laughs> were actively arguing with me about whether or not tie sticks were trash. Uh, they were, by the way. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, because, like, that, like, high times, best strains of, like, 1978, like, thing ran. And, like, it's just, like, a picture of just, and, you know, it's high times, so they like to do their, like, glamour shots of nugs. But it's just, like, a picture of the most trash fucking weed in the world. And mm -hmm. so I, like, le jokingly showed that to my parents, and they're like, Oh, that was all good. And I'm like, no, nah, it wasn't. <laughs> and, and they started arguing with me about these facts. Man, look at you with your cool yeah, parents. Yeah, no, my parents rule. My... This is like Yeah, the best, I get high uh, with my parents all the time. Yeah, this I is mean, the best getting laid off and having to move back with my case... parents ever. Yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, I have two separate stories. Uh, my mom said that she rolled weed but never smoked it. <laughs> yeah, no, that is. Funny, and that's adorable. My dad said he never smoked weed, but he was really, uh, they went on a honeymoon to Jamaica and told me that somebody offered him weed in a bathroom and he was very scared of them. Aww. <laughs> oh, that's, like that's like the first time somebody offered me a bump and I didn't know what a bump was. And I was like, did they just ask me to do heroin? I had... <laughs> No, that is actually heroin is the one being offered drug story that, like, I tell because, like, you know, generally 
a story about being offered drugs and you said no is a stupid story. But I was, in fact, offered heroin once. And, like, I was in a state where I'm like, oh, yeah, man. oh wait, no, heroin. Okay, no, never mind. I'm good. <laughs> no, tell the story. No, no, tell the story. story. I was at the docks. I mean, do you remember... Have you ever been to the docks or like had we not hang out at, at that era? Um, yeah, there's a place in like fucking the bumfuck uh, shore towns of South Jersey, South Jersey towns <laughs> that I live in called the docks. There's some docks. Children get drunk there. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like you just would hang out there all the time and drink and do drugs and shit and then irresponsibly drive home. It was great. Um, oh, yeah. Fucking days but the 2000s. And uh, someone was there, and they offered me some heroin. And I almost said yes. And then I was like, eh, heroin. See, it's a commitment, <laughs> I feel. I feel like it would have been too much of a commitment to just, you know. I've definitely accepted a lot of drugs from strangers that I shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, you snort, <laughs> if you snort it, it's like, Whatever. I mean, that's. But that's see, everyone. At that point. At my age, everyone's seen. Everyone's seen fucking uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you got the, your Pulp Fictions, your grunge music. See, I, I prefer the the real deal, which is uh, Burroughs. Burroughs is my drug. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, drug. I remember your fucking undergrad creative writing samples. <laughs> <laughs> Burroughs wrote the original drug manifesto, yeah. Junkie. He sure did. Well, <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. He sure did write about having sex with little boys. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that guy was trippy. <laughs> he was a space cadet. He was like, he was like <laughs> he was, far out, man. He was, he was like dazed and confused. <laughs> <laughs> the, I like, I like his character. Character in uh, what was that? The Allen Ginsberg, where he's just sitting in a bathtub with a gas oh, mask yeah, on yeah, his yeah, face. Because no, he was also, <laughs> I guess, slightly older than the rest of them. Uh, yeah, no, he was like 50, and everybody else was like 18, like freshman yeah, colleges. Yeah. And he was like 50 years old and had a bunch of money because his family was like rich with, I think his family was related to the Heinz family uh, or, or, or some like. Ooh, like Teresa Heinz Carey. Yeah, what are, what, yeah the Heinz <laughs> well, family is one of those families. She married in. The Heinz family is one of those families that just kind of shows up now and again and yeah you, you never hear about what they do but all of a sudden oh yeah Teresa Hines Carey William S. Burroughs I guess well have you never been to Pittsburgh no I've never been to Pittsburgh <laughs> oh you haven't because okay, it, was, it, uh, is, uh, it, was, it is a big deal in Pittsburgh and you go to Hines Field and you see a game there mm. and literally one of the like things it, there's all this fucking ketchup shit. Oh, it's like, awful. ooh, like fucking key play. Goo goo, look at this ketchup pour out animation shit. It's, yeah, it's, I it's mean, fucking... any people who are like proud about the neologism they have for bologna should not be trusted. Look, they got good sandwiches <laughs> at uh, Parmiani Brothers, uh, but they love the Stellars. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I try to like I you know, that Pittsburgh accent's a little different. Oh yeah, no, we had a we had a heavily Pittsburgh accented uh chemistry teacher in high school that we all Hell just yeah. assumed was special because <laughs> she had a Pittsburgh accent. Um, yeah. So I found out uh, his grandfather founded the Burroughs Adding Machine Company. Okay. He wasn't part of the Heinz, but I, you know, um, he also shot his wife. He so sure did. That's- yeah, he's one of those guys. Who but wait, 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 wait. But did she deserve it? I don't. Yeah, I, no. I remember reading the story, and it's like, oh yeah, he just kind of got away with murder. Well, okay. the 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 official story is that it was a William Tell overture right, right. scene. That yeah, he was, no, he was just being a fucking asshole, and he shot his wife, and his wife is dead now. Yeah, he was doing heroin, and was like, "Let's reenact this scene where I shoot an Who apple." Who gets off your manic head? on and heroin, then- though? That's like. A manic thing to do. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna do William Tell. Jazz on heroin. Plenty of people. Yeah, a lot of people do that. A lot of people. Maybe, maybe they were playing some jazz. Woke them up. But he, he <laughs> we got away caveat. with. If you don't play jazz, you fall asleep standing up. But if you do play jazz, I guess you can do stuff. I don't know. John Coltrane is fucking awesome, but uh, he escaped to like Morocco. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, and naked literally got away with that. Yeah, that, that's the whole naked lunch thing, right? Yeah, no, he went. He went to he went to Morocco, wrote Naked Lunch, didn't remember writing it because he was doing too much opium over there, and then came back after publishing it. Productive on opium. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> But you can. What's, what's his face on the road? Kerouac. I understand you did speed. Yeah, you did. Yeah, the, no. the drug called speed that may that does the speed thing. Like, and he was driving. Yeah, the whole yeah. Time. I understand how you manically write uh, on the road in one sitting on speed. I, I get that. But yeah, how do you just do like a shitload of heroin? Decide and then write about decide like, to do a anal sex with yeah, aliens. Yeah, I don't and, know. yeah, and then write some dumbass fucking book about yeah getting anal raped by gremlins or whatever. I don't know what that fucking book's about. They they were okay. aliens, okay? They were, they were called wampums or Wait, something. Wait, what book? Naked launch. Oh, Naked yeah. launch. I guess. Yeah, you know. I never. Yeah, it really has to do with lunch. butt sex and aliens. That's all I know about it. Oh yeah, it was like. And ostensibly, there's this meta plot where everyone is in a prison where they have to eat lunch naked together. Uh, I don't know, but that's yeah. more of like I a framing was, device rather than. It was a book left mostly unread by me because I would like go on these jaunts as a youngin. I'd go to the library and I'd get like a just too many books. Yeah. So I had like a week where I was like, I'm getting on the road by Jack Kerouac, <laughs> et cetera. Naked Lunch was in there too. I we didn't really have the internet. Though. Yeah, I remember for I will, me to like piece it together. I will say it, it is one of the better, more uh, Kafka esque renderings of like the 19 late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. He formulates his character the control act, right, right. which is the fascinating. You know, the way in which state bureaucracies control, 
like the personal sexuality kind of break into your house to see what you've been masturbating with kind of like policing of sexuality that was going on during the 50s and 60s and then having butt sex with aliens on the side so you know naked lunch it's a great movie yeah also the the, uh, the movie is soundtracked by john coltrane oh, i think you and, me the uh, goddamn movie in college yeah and, and it's not about the book at right. all it's about william burroughs right <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I know there's like a free zone or some bullshit in it. I, I, I don't. Yeah, inter, interzone. Interzone. Interzone is his like dystopian universe where there's like opium dens and addicts and all these metaphorical characters that he finds in the marketplace and in Morocco. and butt sex. No, there's lots of that. Lots of jisms and orgasms. <laughs> yeah oh man it was my favorite book when i was 17, yeah so. this i know of you oh god i'm trying to think of like what my favorite book uh, we was need to, I was 17 steven you need to nut up and just send bonnie some of your short stories from college <laughs> i don't have them they're they're lost lost to the ether of uh this spiraling oh history that is God. changing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wrote a few plays in college, but they were all like weird, like avant-garde things. Like I didn't set out to write something avant-garde, but like my ADD is like, <laughs> this is all I'm going to be able to write. So this is it. I did the Chad move, <laughs> which is to have no creative outlets and therefore be uh, unable to be criticized or assailed by anyone. Oh, beautiful. Yep. But you know, it is it is fun. It is fun to tie up all of your self-worth in your creative pursuit that is also your academic achievement and realize that utterly you're that like your 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 validation is left up to like people that you don't want to be. <laughs> like, like you want to get an A from this teacher, but you're like this isn't my uh, artistic yeah. dream. All right. All right, I'll give you I'll give you a a little a little taste of what I wrote when I was eight. Oh yeah. Mm, mm. I remember I remember writing a short story about living in an apartment in New York and seeing outside my window a a poster of the Statue of Liberty and the Statue of Liberty would come in through my window and fuck me in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was the Statue of Liberty was the Statue of Liberty wearing a strap on? Yes, yes, and it was an advertisement. It was like America strap strap on America fucking me in the ass every night. Yeah, I was alluding to the one where like it was about a police detective who was like going after dealers of a drug that just gave you an orgasm or some bullshit. I do not remember that that at all. Famous and prominent short story, dude. That was. Yeah, no, you have this whole dystopian, it was kind of a, um, what's that fucking cell shit, rotoscoped movie with Keanu Reeves, uh, that that Philip K. Dick novel. It was sort of Philip K. Dickian, except you never read Philip K. Dick, so it was clearly William S. Burroughs. Yeah, definitely. And, like, it was just, the, the, the premise was there was a drug that gave the user an orgasm. 
that was I, I forget everything that fucking happened in it, but that was the plot. I do remember writing the word orgasm. You wrote the orga the word orgasm quite a bit in college. Um, <laughs> I am a long-standing uh, critic and expert and art historian of Stephen Kleth's uh, creative endeavors. I love it. No, see, I don't have. Well, yeah, I could call the girls who were in my little play. Maybe they remember it, but I'm like nobody else remembers. My most well-written play, uh, which was a conversation between Eve and Pandora. Word. And it was about feminism. Uh, it was not bad. I got to say, actually, I'm not like the. I did keep it for a while and I, I lost it on a fucking computer hard drive. But, you know, uh, I do this thing where every once in a while I'll go back and read something super old and most of it makes me go oh god cringe someday we'll dig through the archaeology of the internet yeah oh my god please please find my pandora and eve uh one act play it's uh it's awesome i freaking love it it's all it's a lot of tableaus (laughs) it's um they're like trans-dimensional beings having a sleepover is the play (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are they like beings from mythology or story yeah so they are the prototypical women but uh, like, so they're that, like I, young I, and archetypes kind I, of thing or yeah but i didn't like and this is like in the midst of my very deep like theater major minoring in classical mythology uh self so like a lot of my takes on uh ancient greek mythology and especially like the plays of euripides and whatever are like no i individually think x (laughs) and both studies like both the study of theater canonically and like classics canonically have different ideas about those things it's like i wanted to do something that was about not just these archetypes in mythology but also women and feminism and the roles that we're supposed to play. So they were supposed to be like this binary where like Eve had a lot more agency than Pandora did. Like Eve had a monologue at one point where she talked about how she used to be Lilith and like it's this whole fucking thing. And then like basically it's about Pandora trying to transition into something more independent and she... Like in every scene is like a different stereotypical women thing. So it's like a sleepover. It's like best friends at a sleepover. It's women like it's like whatever. I had the idea to anyway. do a in the style of a Greek tragedy, a story about David Grohl being visited by the disappointed ghost of Kurt Cobain. I don't know why I keep talking about Kurt Cobain. Uh, I basically, I I realized it would require way more study in Greek theater than I was willing to do. But yeah, no, I I had a chorus. (laughs) I wanted a chorus and Courtney Love would be in the chorus. I I forget exactly. Oh my God, it would be so Yeah, no, it rules as a premise. I just am way too lazy to execute it. Oh, I forgot that so my play, there is a problematic turn because like Pandora's like transi- transitions into like the Hindu goddess Kali, mm. 
with like <laughs> with like several severed heads and whatever and that's like her triumphant end in my play but i don't know if that's like appropriative now no, 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 whatever <laughs> probably fine it's a, it's- it was it was fine at the time guys it, and it's not you know it's not like the scenes written like the second indiana jones i promise <laughs> Talk about how uh, basically we shouldn't wear any masks because of something that you thought about what Zizek said. That's not Steve that we should not wear masks and that. They interfere with our freedom of Amer- as Americans. Take that, on this bold take. I'm, hey, it's not because you're trying to simp for Amber Frost. Oh, yeah, she who, just had her wrote, article. What, what article? Headline was, it was that I'm she not wearing the mask. a mask. And then but she is. Two paragraphs into the article, the sentence, I am wearing a mask is spoken. I don't know. I didn't read the whole thing. It seemed sort of a little just purposely... Uh, you know, just Amber being man, Amber. I, I don't know. Whatever. More power to her. Uh, Stan. It's like she's. Uh, it's like she's been on uh, Red Scare one too many times. Which, by the way, if they want to come on here, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't have any dignity. Fuck it. Let's get Mike Tracy on. I don't give a shit. Call Mike Tracy. I would love it. to have Mike Tracy on. Get off my head. He then, he like, has I the same number he's like, had in Hi, college. I've. I've, I've only I know he has the same number he's had in college because he recently signed up for Telegram and I got a notification. And you got a notice that he was trying to buy he, drugs. Yeah, oh. he signed up for Telegram. I'm on Telegram because my sister lives in England. but um, Or you're trying to psycho not. So uh, it'll give you I've sold drugs to my crazy before. I don't give a shit. Um, to go see spirits. But, yeah. <laughs> sold drugs. We gotta contextualize this. No, okay. no, we don't. For the every- point is, I have Mike Tracy's number, and so does Steven, and we could use this power. That's <laughs> really all that needs to be said. I don't know. I Maybe the Tracy's- audience could figure out from the fact that both me and Steven went to college together, and we both have Mike Tracy's number, how we might know Nick Tracy. I think you can draw fucking lines through that and figure it out. Oh, gumshoes that are our audience. <laughs> and also look, of our look, audience, look. a quarter of them went to college with us. So one day I might get a better job that people want to cancel me from. So people might listen to this in uh, the yeah, future. <laughs> Just to check. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. All right. I, I will never forget Mike Tracy accusing you of utilizing Ad hominem oh, yeah, because I told him that Religious by Bill Maher was a shitty fucking movie. And we had an <laughs> argument until two the fuck o'clock in the morning in my fucking off-campus housing I, with Mike Tracy. I was oh, sitting yeah. right yeah. there, right there between you two, between you God, and, he was a you know, he must not be named arguing about uh, whether or not the Beatles or the Grateful Dead were better, yeah. and you and Mike Tracy arguing about... Yeah. Um, I was holding, like, you know, three different simultaneous arguments at once, and I was owning all of them, so... 
Yeah. No, that was great. Great times. Um, fuck the Beatles. Fuck Bill Marks. I stand by that today. How many of you can say that you stand by an opinion you held uh, 12 years ago? Hey, me, last, me, last week, me, and that opinion was racism oh, yeah, sure. is bad. Last, <laughs> last week, I did a whole monologue about Axl Rose being an Uber. Yeah, no, that was cool. So I think I held on to my positions pretty clearly, but I want to get back to uh, why we shouldn't wear masks because Slava is Jackson. The mask engenders a third reality, a ghost in the mask, which is not the reality of the face hidden beneath it. No, no, I wanted, this was a news article that came out about France. Requiring the mask, banning the burqa. Yes, exactly. That is a... Which, which you gotta say, oh, Frenchies, you know I was actually just saying how much I wish I was a uh, Franco-Belgian cartoon illustrator so I could just draw racist pictures and go, ha, 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 Je suis la modern Voltaire as I like erase the lips on a black caricature I made to make redraw them as larger lips uh, and talk about how this represents my uh, liberty. Well, but I say liberté or whatever. French are fucking awesome. They just love being racist. <laughs> and they love being Islamic. Yeah, no, they just, uh, they love it. They fucking love it. Well, you know why? Because I I think in the imagination of people about white people, the French are the ones that are supposed to be those cultural white people. So they have this whole story about how everything is from them and, and they cannot be Also just an insane colonial history with Algeria. Uh, oh, absolutely. But what the, 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 the National Liberation Front in Algeria was able to do was to mobilize newspapers uh, of the left and of the center uh, and to use the, the sort of publicity machine to excite worldwide attention uh, against, uh, uh, against torture, against the abuses of civilians. But the but I'm saying like Which is why Derrida is the best and so is Yeah, good. fucking Pied Noir. Um Camus kind of drew the wrong conclusions. Derrida's actually alright as far as Pied Noirs go. But yeah, no, so there was a they're maintaining the ban on burkas while requiring people to have the mask, which to me has this like the burkas, this kind of shielding a person from external forces and the mask is preventing people from getting a disease that we may all have inside and uh basically something something ideology and so on and so forth but uh french are always going to side on the uh, at least macron but um you know neoliberalism is going to side on the christian hegemonic mask over the islamic burqa any day because they're racist but also like well also they're the racism but also this weird amorphous vapor of the west and western culture and like whatever and it's like it's always been bizarre to me 
Uh, I mean, I of course I mean, understand the West, Western, all these things, but the reign of terror um, was basically our, liberalism being cool as shit for a while, and the French yeah. have the <laughs> legacy of being the coolest liberals who were willing, ready, and able to drown. Yeah, just drown the world in a sea of blood to be the most uber liberals there ever were. I don't know. They haven't really gotten over that being no longer being a thing. I'll put it this way. I love history, but there's moments in history as a youngin that I was taught in school that I was way more fucking into than others. And the ancient world obviously was way in this way. But in the as, other as in you being young or a young yin. <laughs> not a young Ian. A it could go both ways with archetype. So, it could go. It could. It could go both ways. But that's. Um, <laughs> but the French, the French Revolution, everything about that was super fascinating to me. Both. And I remember being like, because of being kind of a more lackadaisical student and then being like so tuned into the material that the teacher was like fucking leave me alone <laughs> like like stop staying after class to talk about the french revolution <laughs> but yeah so if you were that fucking cool and then in the modern era you're fucking weird smelly frogs like come on but okay you know? but so what's the contradiction <laughs> within feminist theory about burkas because i read multiple perspectives on it and i'm still not clear where feminists land on burkas because it seems because feminists aren't clear you know that's the thing like feminists aren't clear where uh like there's no real unified field of feminists on this subject matter certainly like um, is it an oppressive force by the patriarchy on women so or is it an empowering act by women to establish themselves separate from? Honestly, I find both of those rationales compelling in different ways. I have a real aversion to anything that makes a modesty argument. I can't stand anything from any culture that has an overemphasis on modesty as a power. There's something I specifically think is a, a trick about that for women because it encourages women to weirdly police each other mm -hmm. for these signals of modesty. And I feel like it's the same fucking bullshit dressed up like it's sacred and, and beautiful. And I, and I, it makes me annoyed because I don't feel the need to respect modesty or choices for modesty at all. That's fine if that is what, like, turns you on uh, about life, gets you fired up, is being fucking modest and whatever. And I'm actually not a particularly provocative dresser myself. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not exactly coming at this from a completely opposite, like, oh, let me be out here as some American stereotype of, you know, Chelsea Handler topless for no reason. <laughs> Even if it, there is no religious component, if somebody's like, I'm like so fucking cool because I like don't show my body and like that's different, right? And I, I oh God, it makes me like, no, it's not. I don't, who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, but in terms of someone making a choice because it's part of a cultural or religious tradition, I feel like that's different. However, I have a problematic feeling because I kind of 
there's a small fucked up part of me that is like, yeah, that's right. Masks are like just the thing now. So now uh, we can all be doing cool mask shit, you know? Whereas, I don't know, I think before you have people being like, ban the burqa. You have people being like, the burqa's beautiful. But also like, if you wanted to play with the idea of covering oneself, then are we getting into a weird appropriative area? And now, uh, oops, no, we're just doing regular masks for safety. <laughs> you don't have to. That's, that's, that, will, that, that goes to my point, uh, which is the uh, the moralism you see by primarily liberals who are policing people who are not wearing masks and saying mm-hmm. you're being a bad person for not wearing a mask because you're morally obligated to wear a mask because it prevents the spread of disease to others, et cetera, et cetera. While the argument about the burqa is the inverse of that, the argument against the burqa is that it's in some ways holding a woman hostage of a patriarchal system, but the argument for it is that it's freeing a woman from the patriarchal gaze. So... The Zizekian analysis is that what we fear most is the face or like the way we construct the face to our neighbors and Westerners are more fearful of not being able to see their person's face, which then makes them distrust them if they can't see the face. Well, which is a which is a whole kind of other analysis that's more Hegelian about how we recognize the other and how we see the other person interacting with ourselves and what we fear is this like unknown in a cultural sense. But I, I don't really ascribe to that as much as Marlo likes to pin me on that. Forgive me if I'm mistaken here, but when I hear analysis kind of like that, it sounds reactionary. Like it's a, it's reacting to the idea of Islamic face coverings almost always directly. And it's not, it's not like there's this very. I think think it's identifying the reactionary ideology is what he's doing, is saying that this is the ideology that is guiding Eurocentric liberalism to Mm -hmm. reject the burqa. Yeah, I mean, is that it? Or or are they seeking a justification for having an aversion to its foreignness? Because... Like, for instance, like covering one's face is different than, say, covering one's hair as a thing, right? But many corners of Islam don't have face coverings as a typical part, but the covering of hair is regular. And it's said for modesty, just as it's said it's for modesty when um, Hasidic women wear wigs. It's different than covering one's face, but, like, the discomfort with the practice exists separately no, than any justifications. Yeah. I think what this discomfort with the burqa as opposed to discomfort or, or comfort with the COVID mask kind of embodies this ideology of othering, which is to say that we accept it as long as therefore we nice. all must yeah. wear the mask. But once it becomes somebody else gazing upon the person, uh, you know, that being the thing that is the unknown that like is the symbolic representation of an other 
religious expression, it becomes taboo. That like mm -hmm. analysis of it comes from within, therefore it's uh, tolerated. Whereas if it comes from outside, it is intolerable. And that to me seems significant in the way in which we uh, in the West see, you know, the dangers of the other, as in like the way in which we should better ourselves is within first through therapy or through, you know, self-care or whatever bullshit they tell us we need to like treat yourself inhabit as opposed to like if you accept wearing a burqa as an expression of your religious that is where we draw the line because it, it 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 is showing something to a larger world well yeah and i think it's interesting in the united states has there's like a conflation the people who like are whole hog like this is made up all oh, this shit is bullshit whatever they have made this conflation about the masks and burkas and shit Whoa. very yeah, easily I, I, <laughs> and at, and they're like it's a liberal I saw a meme that oh. was like it's a liberal Chinese well, conspiracy I think that's, that's sort of what I've been getting at with this conflation of the ideal ideology where it's this liberal it's the masks are seen as the masks of liberalism as this ideological moralism that they're imposing on others which they are reacting to by not wearing a mask you know we've talked about it before but all these like protests against wearing masks which then spreads the virus even more you know and why people would do that and i think that kind of gets to that rationality it is a rejection of what they view as liberal moralism being imposed on them. Yeah, it's also a lot of well, this... Actually, I don't know if this falls under any fucking Deleuze Guattari like signs and signifiers collapsing bullshit, but it's the general idea of where of like the aestheticization of politics and it, just everything's a particular signifier of what side you're on. No, and, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'll admit that I started wearing the mask. I made one out of an old T-shirt. Um, mostly not because I was like, oh, I'm sick. I wasn't sick, uh, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to signal to people that I was, like, taking it seriously and et cetera. So I, like, voluntarily wore the mask out before it was cool. totally sort of. And people were like, why are you doing that? Because it kept going back and forth. But I was just, I don't know. It was a... Uh, yeah, and I mean, meanwhile, again, my kind of parents have Grateful Dead masks. So there's that. Oh, I got so. some leopard print ones today. So they finally came. <laughs> Which, I mean, I hate in this, whatever. But as soon Nathan as I Robinson. saw the forest for the trees that we were going to have to wear masks, I was like, I'm going to get some fucking... Nathan yeah, Robinson has a matching like Paisley them. mask. Yeah, match to the uh, liner of his jacket because he's Nathan J. Robinson. The one Slovenian leader. She had a beautiful matching mask with uh, her outfits once, once this had started. Um, so I, I just... 
I also think it's an interesting question about freedom and, well, why is it okay? Like, why is it not okay? These people who have a real problem with the masks, why is it not okay to be told to wear a mask? But a lot of these people are the same people who are totally okay with every kind of business having arbitrary clothing rules for their employees um, that have nothing to do with, like, safety, et cetera, that are just like, you know, I, I'm... Not a terribly old person, but the amount of jobs I had where they are still like, you're a lady, you got to wear pantyhose <laughs> when it what serves no purpose. Um, <laughs> it's just one of these old timey modesty things well, yeah, I mean, out there. Uh, or the idea is that we don't want to see someone if somebody got ugly legs, we don't have to see it. So we have to make this prescription. You know, there's all this concern about um Policing oh, women's bodies. show up. Policing women's bodies is what it comes down to. <laughs> so, I mean, also yeah. it generally oh, comes yeah. down to this insane definition of freedom that uh, explicitly denies any action of private entities as interfering with your freedom. They, they, I mean, your employer also dictates when you have to wake up in the morning. That's more to your day-to-day life than anything the government's ever done. Your employer gets to dictate a ton of shit to you and they never have an issue with that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's kind of where I keep coming back to. Like, why should these people, you know, defend that? I mean, we know why, but <laughs> because I've always felt that the encroachment from employers has always been more materially of a tangible thing in my life. Most of my life, I've been somewhat in entertainment, but there have been times in my life where I've buttoned down and had to do this or that job. And they tell me how I can wear my hair, that I have to wear makeup, even if it's got nothing to do. Like, I don't care about glamming up for like something that is makes sense that I would, you know, glam up for. I'm shooting something, whatever. But I've had plenty of jobs that are like, I'm a cashier. And they're like, essentially, I'm a cashier. And they're like, you got to wear makeup to make minimum wage. <laughs> it's, um, I don't give a shit about people feeling their freedoms encroached on here if they've got nothing to say about those parts. This brings up the next point that I wanted to talk about was the, uh, there was a meme going around social distancing equals communism. Yeah. And also the, uh, the, uh, I guess term Cuomoism that I've been seeing, uh, around upstate New York, which, you know, seems to imply communist for uh, keeping large portions of the state shut down. And I think this gets into a lot of the uh, mythology around communism and the separation of the private enterprises from state apparatuses, Um, whereas any uh, use of force by state apparatuses are seen as Stalinist and therefore communist. Yeah, except, except I mean, all private property. I mean, that is yeah, the yeah, essence yeah. of the pure ideology is just this uh, delineation that actually is internally inconsistent with itself. Yeah, their entire premise is based around the existence of state 
force. They, you can't have private property without state force, and you never could. I don't like using rightist language. However, this whole let me get back to work is seriously, it's the most cucked bullshit in the universe. <laughs> it is literally. I know what wanting losers. It's, it's only being able to be brought to orgasm by watching your wife get fucked by another man. That that's all it is. It's the dumbest goddamn thing <laughs> on the planet. Like what the fuck? No, no, stop asking to go to work, you fucking loser! Like stop it. Now, on the other hand, of course, um, yeah, part of the problem with that is liberalism doesn't have a solution. Well, look. And liberalism is not willing to sustain people not working at this time. So, I mean, it is, it is in Europe. I mean, social democracy in Europe is doing that. Yeah, to an extent. But it's not to an extent. It, you know, the government is taking over, what, 80% of the tab on people's paychecks and but my thought is that this kind of goes back to our, you know, topic we touched on before. I think that the right to work thing or right to go back to work is very much a Protestant belief yeah. in. Yeah, no, that is. Uh, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. But I mean, well, I think, no, I think because about this conflation of morality and. <laughs> working and this idea that you have some form of personal fulfillment that can be solved by selling your labor to a capitalist well not only that, but if you get are getting paid out by the government right. then exactly you, no uh, it, it's less moral or yeah, you're you're a lesser person if you're getting government you're, you're paid less out. moral and you have really at a spiritual level a lack of some intangible fulfillment well i just have to say um i said this since my freshman year of high school it's also very inherent to brave new world by aldous huxley which to huxley's credit <laughs> he later disowned mm-hmm. that novel as any good writer should. yeah no absolutely yeah, but the premise is, uh, I feel like there is some version of people like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll sign up for whatever. Just give me um, the sugar water right. and There's, the video game yeah, system. I don't want to go too far <laughs> down this because a lot of those, no, you okay, a lot of those protests are very much in the purest of ideology, and where I'll disagree with Vaver is, I guess, a chicken and egg thing with him, but I think he does describe an interesting interpretation. You can apply it to Marxist superstructure and say the Protestant work ethic uh, actually does provide a basis that aids capitalism. I don't believe capitalism was an emergent quality of Calvinism. But I, I think I think capitalism the way it exists oh, I mean, will I mean, we, um it seeks it seeks to exist in Protestant work. I mean here's my argument that. against favor I guess would be we've moved beyond Protestant work ethic and now we have tech bros uh doing ayahuasca in South America well, that, work ethic. That's because 
That's because Protestant work ethic became the like base. Well, no, my point. My point is. Well, yeah, can, but that there's an. You can derive that from anything. You can derive that from Burning Man. You have a Burning Man work ethic. You have Silicon Valley bros doing a shitload of drugs and reading the Bhagavad Gita and justifying capitalism through that. You you can have any set of religious work ethics. I think that Protestantism as a historic base to the United States general ideology mass, yes, it probably there is an undercurrent of that that's being applied even to those things. Again, it's mostly a chicken and egg thing with Faber that I have that he has a very... And I mean, this isn't even anything that Faber himself would disagree with. He's making an idealist argument. He is very consciously making an idealist argument. And he's very consciously making an idealist argument as a challenge to the prevailing Marxist argument at the time. I disagree with him on that. But uh, I think at the same time... His description of Calvinism and how it intersects with capitalism is interesting and might even serve some use in a Marxist analysis. The other thing I will point out is that these protests, the go back to work, seem astroturfed in a lot of ways by forces. I, I, I'm not quite sure what. What? But they they do resemble a lot of Tea yeah. Party protests. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, uh, conservatives writ large never say. I mean, you're um, literally don't or like whatever. Fall in line. They they don't do that. I mean, they're, they're so literally mean. like the kids at school reminding the teacher to assign homework. Like it really is. Like shut the fuck up, dude. Like, what the, who wants to go back to work, you fucking loser? Like, fuck you. Like, people, people who are- Well, yeah, it's, it's got the energy, it's got the energy of, uh, what people on the internet say. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Pick me, woman. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's got that energy. A pick me woman is somebody who's like, actually, I love cooking. Yeah, I'm called a pick me bitch, but this also might be a good (laughs) transition to Caroline Calloway. I wanted to, yes. Bonnie wants to defend uh, Caroline Calloway. um, I... I am canceling Caroline Calloway at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. (laughs) She's been canceled. She's a phoenix. I've only and seen then, that uh, Red Scare interview, and I'm I'm ready to throw her off a cliff. So you're okay. surrounded. <laughs> you're surrounded. One, um, one, I just don't like successful women. We're just talking about because five. one question. <laughs> yeah, um, clearly, uh, that's what. <laughs> so they can't be president. This is connected with what we were just talking about because please, everyone listening, question: How you value people according to? Uh, work in general and how someone makes a living and etc. Um, a lot of these things that I think are tied with a Protestant work ethic is there's something in that that is very useful to a bootstraps American idealism that 
is the idea that magically out there, all jobs have someone who in their heart of hearts, that's what sings to them is that job, no matter how menial, blah, 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 right, it's yeah. honest work, etc. And um, I think with Caroline Calloway, there is a question of honest work, clearly. What is that? Uh, if you don't know who she is, uh, she's some white bitch uh, <laughs> who was an Instagram influencer. There was a, I literally did I not know about her until part expose on her. I'll give the brief version. She was an Instagram influencer. She sold some event experience where she made all these promises. She couldn't get it together. And then she got branded as a scammer and um, she kind of freaked out, whatever, went went dark and quiet for a while. Uh, and then there was this tell-all by her former friend yeah, who I, claimed to have I been her ghostwriter for all of her Instagram captions. And I'm just like reading it going who the fuck me is this too person? To be and like i have like three different wikipedia pages up and and i'm about three paragraphs into what again it's a thousand pages long it's so goddamn long and it's i'm so like three long, paragraphs so in and i'm just like all right i don't care anymore and i just went and did something else nor nor should you but if you're into nonsense <laughs> as i am uh i got i got very into it because uh some very funny people i know were sort of post interested, and then i've come around i've come around to i i will in her defense most most adamantly i will say i believe caroline calloway to have a very good sense of humor and i i always appreciate that about someone and um i don't think she's a shitty person uh entirely uh she's i think she has some self-awareness and she's funny for who she is from what i do know also um since she's come back on the scene, which she responded to the tell-all, she raised a bunch of money uh, with her response, um, but she also started an OnlyFans, and thematically, it's um, literature, like heroines of literature, but you see their butt, uh, but it's her, Elizabeth Bennett and the like. So that's that's caused a bit of controversy in terms of people feel like she's encroaching on this you know, land of sex work that she doesn't belong. And I don't know. I, I think, have, I have I think a that's soft. pretty silly. I don't think a single person who's just looking to jerk off is like, I'm going to pay 50 bucks a month for Caroline Calloway's fucking Jane Eyre I have to cosplay. I, I have a soft spot for Elizabeth Bennett because I loved Pride and Prejudice. Also, here on Nightly, I will stand <laughs> till the end of time. But with Red Scare, again, no, we're really it, making a hard no, absolutely not. for Red, Red Scare I'm to come I'm never going to watch or listen to anything by Red Scare. Never going to have, yeah. I mean, I yeah, no, Red come Scare. on the pod, um, um, Anna did, and I... Dasha. Call Mike Tracy and ask for Dasha's number. Um, <laughs> I, I met Dasha once. Um, I was at the Mark Fisher reading. <laughs> which Amber was reading at, uh, or she was one of the panelists for the Mark Fisher K-Punk release party. And Dasha saw that I had a K-Punk and they had run out of K-Punk copies, so she couldn't get her own copy, which she has henceforth gotten. I've seen her like 
pictures of her having the K-Punk book, but she asked me where I got it, thus bringing me into the circle of friends that she had, which included Adam Friedland, um, who had a broken nose at the time. And I, <laughs> sure he did. I had, no, no, sure. he really did. I just have to In say, the, of all of us, I've secret nose job much from Comtown. <laughs> At zero. Yeah, you've met the least. <laughs> that's that's the real brag of this episode is that Steve and I have met so many. Okay, of he, the he did have a he did have a broken nose. Uh, apparently, I I think this was from a fight that he got into with a person in Bedsty. Into um, as an adult, like I'm sorry, what the fuck is that? Somebody come town living um, in Bedsty, but. Who um, looks like Adam so, Friedland and gets into fights? Look, look, has anyone ever heckled you when you were trying to just God, stand I, up? Yeah, no, I remember being, like, <laughs> into the, like, the tough crowd scene and, like, being with that, like, mentality of, like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, if you're a heckler, like, you gotta burn their house down and murder their children. Like, that's just how it works. Like, I remember, like, being into that, like, fucking, like, yeah, stand-up comedian ethics you? bullshit that they have. Of just, yeah, no, I was, hey, I was like, absolutely looking from the outside in. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, it's very similar to, like, baseball unwritten rules, where, like, in baseball, it's like, oh, well... You know, that batter was, like, a little bit of a douchebag when he hit a home run. So, of course, the next time he steps off the plate, you have to throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball at his fucking head. Like, it's just these, like, rules that, like, within this certain group, they're accepted as, like, these eternal and obviously true rules. But, like, to any normal human being looking in, they're just um, insane, and no way to run a society or even subculture, I would say. Anyway, so my embarrassing story is I had just seen uh, Dasha and Adam on Chapo's midterm election coverage that they did, which Marlo and I both watched. Yeah, yeah. And I... When, yeah, when I Matt mistake- got shit-faced and had to be replaced suddenly yeah. by Dasha. <laughs> I was in the middle of telling a story about how I talked to Dasha and Adam Friedland not knowing who they were, but also... Hell yeah. Because I had seen them in the Chapo uh, midterm election coverage and asked them if I recognized them from a DSA meeting, and they were very condescending towards me. That's on brand. Yeah. It's on brand. They were right to have shamed me. Is what yeah. I'm trying to No, I disagree. Yeah, I, I, would think say, I would say if it was the, the like whole... Matt or Amber, they would have been right to be condescending. But if Dasha, no, has no right. Nor does Adam. They, they I have mean, no right to be condescending. To look, me. I can't talk. I grew up with Stav and he big times me constantly. So Big um, times you? Yeah, that's what it's called when you're like, oh, uh, I only have time for you because I'm big time. What are you going to get him on the pod? Come on. Fucking fucking never. First of all, he has never even gotten his tooth fixed. So do you think he's got, like, his shit together to do me a fucking favor? No. Uh, I love Stav. I did grow up with him. But, yes, he does big time me because he uh, makes a lot of fucking money on his fucking come town. He's got his own podcast now too. Stavi 
solves all your problems or something like that. Yeah, well, he also has a sports podcast, I know. Yeah, he's got a basketball bullshit. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of shit no one cares about. Yeah, like, it's got, uh, it's, I mean, I can't... The man's can't. got a fucking County Central special, yeah? Yeah, I love and support him, you know, for real, Greek town forever, but I can't be expected to consume all of the content he's putting out. Um, yeah, with it's his, not, it's really his not stand-up comedy. Well, I mean, the, if it was just stand-up, yeah, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't listen to every come town. I do. There's nothing wrong you with shouldn't. it. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, I so. do, I do, because I work at a job where I have eight hours to just listen to podcasts all day. And, well, uh, see, I like to listen to like uh, podcasts about ghosts and aliens if I've got a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. So were we vaguely talking about Caroline Calloway? Yeah, we were. But then we got into other influencers like Stavro Halkias. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, one, people think it's problematic that she has this OnlyFans. She's uh, gentrifying like. OnlyFans. Which, it, just shut up. Uh, if you're, <laughs> I'm sorry, like, if you're doing sex work and it's exclusively on the internet, you already are privileged in the realm of sex work. It's not as if those things are accessible to everyone, even though they are accessible to a bunch of broke-ass bitches who just need to make a buck. <laughs> Which is fine, and I, do, I don't know. I don't think somebody like Caroline Calloway engaging with that stuff at all dilutes it or has a negative effect. Yeah, it's like the time that like we tried to argue that um, Miley Cyrus was like appropriating the twerk. Actually, uh, Miley Cyrus is uh, appropriating this like strong New Orleans uh, black uh, P black indigenous PLC uh, tradition of twerking. That was awesome. That was a great fucking era, and we should go back to it. Um, yeah, Paul Ryan's Widow Peak was pretty epic as well but like oh yeah no yeah 2012 had so many things caroline caroline um seems to have what what's the communist bent though that's well one she did support bernie so shut the fuck up uh <laughs> she was a bernie supporter um i mean when it comes up she doesn't have bad ideas about labor and etc she's not She's not an enemy. And I think, who gives a shit? Like, I don't see her harming things in this way. I just think she, for some people, fulfills this role of a certain kind of person that they feel safe to hate and et cetera. It's very easy to ignore her. Plenty no of people have no idea who the fuck she is. Yeah. Um, like so that's always, that's always my thing about a woman that people want to, like, bitch about where... I'm like, it's way easy to ignore this person. Why would you be so obsessed with Carol criticizing Baskin? them? Carol Baskin? Look, <laughs> people miss the part where we all were fine with that Carol Baskin's killed her ex-husband. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? I mean, he we were all... Take, he was going to take everything from yeah, See, I'm Also, he was rich and fuck him. Yeah, I was, exactly. and, like, I was he was a was creep born. who like creeped on like some twenty year old when he was like fifty years old and married. So 
He picked her up off yeah. the side of the road when she was like 100%. 19. And she was absolutely not a sex worker at the time. Carol Baskin did not gentrify OnlyFans. I just have to say that. <laughs> That's true. Um, That's Jacob true. Well but is like, also gentrifying OnlyFans, but yous all are not ready to have that conversation. I I watched the one interview with the gentrifier of OnlyFans and found her monologues to be droning on and on. And well, she's a very young person who vapid. is. And I know I understand the like the objectifying of women in this way where we view things that they say as being vapid and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but did you know she was addicted to amphetamine? I did know. No. And that was, no. that was a large part of the reason she was vapid was she kept talking on yeah. and on and on about the things that she... That's the most annoying thing on earth. I hate, she comes okay, off I, significantly less vapid now that she's kicked the I have an opinion on her now because <laughs> fuck that. Like, that's the worst type of drug addict is the, like, white person going to a prestigious college who manages to get addicted to amphetamines probably because they were just buying Adderall from someone and then they, like, just went down... Which was her drug of choice. She was never yeah. all at. Yeah, uh, obviously yeah. she... Yeah, no, I thought she was... I, no, I thought she was, like, people. picking up Crystal at a fucking Motel 6. No, obviously she was a fucking Adderall. Well, and we're talking about... And, and I do want to, for full disclosure for anyone listening, this time that we're talking about that she was uh, having the problem... Her father did commit suicide. I don't care. <laughs> then get addicted to Percocet like a fucking normal person. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. No, like that. But do you really think, okay, no, no. So, the, but the takedown by the best friend, Natalie, right? <sighs> so are you more sympathetic to Natalie, the less attractive girl who was also white, who also went to the prestigious oh, college, I, but was too chicken shit to put her own shit I out? Don't, I don't care about <laughs> Natalie. I'm really just judging her on the basis of being one of those Fucking people who gets addicted to Adderall. Oh yeah, well, like, I mean, I just, like okay. you're someone really who like wanted to do homework so bad you made your heart explode. Fuck you, you <laughs> fucking. <laughs> piece of shit. Okay. So no, I just want to put it out there. I don't think I would have ever even gotten into Caroline Calloway if some if her friend had not tried to take her down in this. Oh way. yeah, absolutely. I I, that's I, the first time I've ever heard even the concept of Caroline Calloway. And then like I didn't when Caroline Calloway reemerged on the internet, I didn't realize it was the same person. It's a real uh, when the uh, Laguna Beach was popular situation for me. Like, I don't give a shit about this, but if you're going to make me care about it, I'm going to be on the side of this bitchy girl and not that it's one. It's a price <laughs> right. I want to yeah. discuss the role of ghostwriters in capitalist economies. Also, the, the idea of a ghostwriter of capitalism on Instagram is so endearing. Yeah, that, is, that actually is hilarious. I won't oh, give you no, that. I just, I I just, 
it made me want. It made me want to just just hold well, him in my arms. How the fuck do you go, get addicted to Adderall and still need a ghostwriter? Like, what about that? You know, you're on Adderall. Fucking write your own shit manically. Plus, you're like a oh. champion, and you only use Adderall to play Super Mario Brothers Three on an NES okay. emulator, okay. and then okay. masturbate. Okay, let's let's pull out this lens. Uh, Caroline Galloway, uh, like paid for like forty thousand subscribers when she joined Instagram as oh, an God, influencer, I hate so much. And, and like bought her way into her own fame, and then used other labor to continue that fame or at least maintain that fame i see that argument but i just think once i got tuned into the actual facts of the matter i was like am i really going to lay this all at the feet of essentially a 20 year old girl I'm completely willing to throw children under the bus to no, prove the point. I think I, you're, I, I, think I, know, you're I got you, but I'm just saying I think there's something suspicious about people acting like they're making a labor argument. I, I feel that people seek out a certain woman of a certain privilege that they feel safe yeah, laying out these again, fucking Jennifer things well on. Is it's a also gentrifying Instagram. The difference being that no one gives a fuck. Only fans. Yeah, only fans. But how Sorry. absurd! How absurd is it to talk about gentrifying any digital yeah, space? It's kind of no, okay, 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 okay. Wait a second. I got Boldriard in my hand. Oh right yeah, now, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's got levels of simulation within this. And what you're talking about are how dare you talk about people gentrifying or acting as the spaces within hyper-reality are places in which work and labor can be argued about. And the hyper-reality, you know, has existed as a space for capitalism to produce things since at least the late 80s, uh, you know, at least the maybe the mid-80s. But the, the advent of the Internet has has increased this need for production that in my mind like Caroline Calloway like exhibits like this popularity for popularity's sake and using others labor to continue the production of her popularity um, and, and her buying people's like followers as part of that popularity feeds into this idea that she is one of the hyper real like she is working on this hyper real level of production which her value is only valued in a hyper real sense and her only fans or her gentrification of only fans and gentrification of digital spaces is working within you know to d use the losing guitari is is you know deterritorializing digital spaces for capitalistic means um, which is what capitalism has done in the last 40 years, which is territorialize every space it possibly can to extract as much money as it possibly can. And I see Caroline Calloway absolutely being like the best at doing that. She has absolutely like bought her way into being. I the don't think she's. 
that wealthy, though. I think she's not fucking like Paris Hilton, and this whole thing has been projected onto her a little bit. Where I'm not, I'm not denying either. that she has. This I'm not saying that she's Paris Hilton. I'm not. But I want. Like, I just I'm no, no, no. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying some of the criticism goes right there. They like paint this picture of her as if. Well, like I mean, the, the amount it's of the, things, it's the like that she quote unquote famous issue that like was most associated yeah with paris hilton and uh the kardashians this whole like idea of you're famous because you're famous those people had lots of money and or prestige in there it's not as if caroline calloway comes from like that level she went to harvard though she She went went to harvard yeah yeah no no no. but i'm saying like she's not an heiress like i'm not Remember when Paris Hilton started her vanity record label called Eris Records? Yes. That was cool. Uh, Yes. Oh, God. See, I've... The idea of her being like a rags to riches thing also... Oh, no, no, no. I don't think she ever claimed that either. She created an she did say once yeah, that it's she, a pretty um, unstable she did say empire. Once, I mean, it's like very she, late Austro-Hungarian. Yeah, she's <laughs> kind of. I just do find it funny that she did once say that she built her way out of the upper middle class. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Actually, no, that rules. Fuck it, I love her. She fucking. Yeah, no, that's actually though. cool I, as shit. Like, yeah, like she's like she's trying in this weird way but it's clumsy and there's something that i i will admit like i i was uh completely unaware of her and then some funny people on the internet who find yeah, no, her it's sort of ironically like the then post thing where like now it's cool to be into uh professional wrestling like she, <laughs> yeah she's basically <laughs> I'm a com. I'm a stand-up comic. Uh, that was always well, yeah. yeah cool. No, it was cool since the like mid to late 2000s, and then yeah, like yeah. after that, like we all like rediscovered the fucking Bret Hitman Hart uh, wrestling with shadows documentary at the same time on Netflix, and like then we all got into professional wrestling. Mountain Goats dropped the fucking album. Mountain Goats. Big one. Anyway, uh, so no. you're saying this is like the this is like, version. This is but, like if the Kardashians <laughs> rehappened, but in 2020, and you now have this whole fucking postmodern like new sincerity thing, and now like the coolest people actually like the Kardashians or whatever the fuck, because you know it's like. Yeah, well, that's it's me. like how that's I uh, defend Nickelback because that's fuck my you. You know, um, Nickelback rules. But also, but also, I'm not arguing that she's a bad person either. I'm arguing. No, you're not. I'm arguing that she's working within the incentives that are given to her. She is doing the best at it. Um, while yes, and I think she's somewhat aware of it. While adding also like no value like she's really good at yes. adding zero value to net neutral like net neutral to any of I don't like, know. she got like people in east european bot farms to like give her forty thousand followers look yeah look he bought off bots no and um, like you know there's a man who's working there there's a man who like 
took that bot money and fed his children from it. So you got that. I, I like I like this uh, neo-libertarian. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I got one of those, like, headaches where, like, it can be solved if I get, like, a solid eight hours of sleep. But, like, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> um, Caroline Calloway, come on. Yeah, sure. Podcast. We'll stand you. I can't. We're not going to do I'll anything sign up for, for your you, but I jerk off to you out of solidarity or something. I looked at all the nudes she put up just on Twitter, which FYI, go to her Twitter. Yeah, I know there is. Pinned. It's her fucking pinned tweet. She thought her word count was one thing, but it was another. So she apologized with a full nude. Right. <laughs> which I just, I no, don't know. She like, a, no, well, okay. So I, I alluded to it, but like also no one gets this reverence but me. Yeah, my favorite like leftist Twitter lawyer, um, which is like a subgroup of posters basically for whatever reason decided to get in a fake beef with her and like she kind of like yeah she like played a lot of rhythms it was pretty good yeah she like actually is pretty good at posting I don't uh, in a totally fucking like I've smoked too much pot completely meta like technically I was an art student way I do think there's something interesting about thinking about how someone uses the medium available to them to make things rather than That's called our traditional material conditions. Those are material conditions. Yeah. So I'm saying like, is there a place in the future where we're looking at what a Caroline Calloway produces and we're looking at it from the lens of, oh, she had X, like instead of these oil paints or these paint brushes or whatever, she had these apps. <laughs> like, like I just think that Yeah, there she's is the Michelangelo of pasting. That's cool. Not such. No, she is, like, literally laying on scaffolds in- uh, for, like, 14 hours a day for, like, three years straight to, like, post this fucking hard. If you want to know about Michelangelo, why don't you guys just watch Nanette? Well, we could anyway, a uh, <laughs> fucking Ninja Turtle. Her her new special, her new special is coming out soon, I think. So uh, we should definitely put a pin in that in the future. We'll do a Nanette slash the new thing. If you guys don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about, apologies. Uh, I I know them as words I've heard on the internet before. Oh, you I've know never Nanette. Watched <laughs> Nanette, you should watch you Nanette. It's worth it. It's worth it to know what the fuck it is. And it's not not funny. Don't believe Nick Mullen. <laughs> no, Nick Mullen has like a, a hatred of Nanette that goes beyond. It's a basic bitch stand-up comedy fucking opinion. It's people, it's the fucking stand-up comics who pride themselves on, oh, I can only fucking do stand-up comedy, not of this other arty fucking fart yeah, no. shit. Like, it's that I don't, guy. I don't I don't think like it's the most... Anything, so. Well, obviously, I just, I just knew he's one of them, and it's this thing where, okay, as a stand-up comic, it was a very trying time for us when Nanette came out because uh, I do have a theater background, but I've been doing fucking stand-up for well, a million years. I'm yeah, not 2018, a, so Louis C.K. very recently canceled, uh, which was like the 9-11 yeah, so like, for I, comics. I, uh, no one was the same after yeah, that. So, so Nanette was this incredibly polarizing thing. It was insane. Uh, I'm not listening like, to an Australian I, accent for like... 
She's New Zealand. I, I'm, I'm, it's worth it if you fucking like theater. It, it's not a bad piece of art, whether you want to run it by the metric of what is uh, stand-up comedy, quote-unquote, by an no American comedy. standard. It's very typical in the style of, like, fucking Commonwealth comedy. I hate uh, Commonwealth. Which I'm probably more familiar with. Well, look, I'm fucking Canadian. I can't help that <laughs> I'm a little more okay with it but uh i think hannah gadsby's a brilliant comic she's not not funny the fact that americans aren't aware of her she's obviously sold out the sydney opera house in the recording but people in america are like i don't know who she is so they think this is like her first foray into things and not like um sort of sort of a semi-experimental piece anyway yeah, I, I mean go down swinging you just have to go the no, right, no, no, and I mean, that, also um, for the record, me? like, what's his fucking face? Um, Neil Brennan basically <laughs> did the same thing with his three bikes tour, except yeah, lame, sure, lamer. Whatever, it's not. You can't compare the like gravity of those uh, if you watch them both right. in reality. <laughs> but you have to. I just need to put it out there as a stand-up comic who's a woman in the context of when that came out. Someone got so angry at me for saying that. Hey, I thought it was funny, but perhaps everyone didn't relate to it. It didn't resonate with everyone. That's all I said, and someone got oh. so angry at me for saying that. They called me. They said it was just like the woman. Yeah. Got okay. Kill kill. Seriously, so no, stand-up comics <laughs> are the most thin-skinned, horrible, it's, it's, pussy it's, fucking it's people. Very fun. In any field, they are. Like, just literally anything. It's like, oh, you were, like, on your phone at my show. That's basically the Holocaust. Like, they're the worst fucking people in that regard. I will say, as one yeah, of these I'm talking about you it's not, it's not as if we're en masse. Yeah. It's not as if we're en masse the worst. It's that the ones of us that traditionally do well... Um, are the worst. <laughs> I mean, I, that's In what I was talking ways. about earlier. Super talented. Was, like, super into the whole, like, fucking it, tough crowd. Uh, like, Patrice, Louis C.K., um, uh, Colin have, Quinn, all those fucking... I love Colin Quinn. I will never criticize okay, him. Okay, well, uh, I will he's a very absolutely nice man. criticize uh, his fucking, like, God Bless America show or whatever the fuck. Uh, which I... You, I was at the uh, filming. Oh, that's right, you did. I love long story short. Yeah, so I I try to like see what see what he's putting down. Yeah, um, no, it's just like a fucking boomer going like, oh, liberals and conservatives, ain't that something? Uh, for like ninety minutes, you know, it's whatever. If it becomes available soon, you should definitely watch. Nanette and her subsequent special will definitely be good podcast yeah, material because it. it'll definitely yeah, no. you should because it, uh, it's, I, mean, it's, I, I, I think there's an interesting conversation the there to be had it, about so like yeah I'll, I'll watch it sure yeah exactly but also like I take issue mostly because I'm an asshole with the idea that Hannah Gadsby is some kind of uh, humorless bitch when um, she's quite funny. And it's this thing where because she dared to fucking mix up the framework of her special, 
And it was something that made people feel a little bit more emotional than they were expecting. They got so mad. And uh, I'll never not be delighted about how mad they got. <laughs> it's, But I think uh, it's worth it to see how you feel about it. She's not even just new. She's from Tasmania. She's a fucking devil. Tasmanian devil. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, we have gone super long. What I said, I have one of those headaches and it sucks. It's the 20th anniversary of Oops, I Did It Again. And Comrade Comrade Brittany is, is out and posting. Yeah, leave Brittany alone, etc. Leave Brittany alone. She's wearing red in that video because she's a communist. Also, please, Matt, put the song in. Yeah, let's get sued by Brittany Spears. Let's get sued by people. Um, I love Brittany. we become popular. Brittany would never sue me, one, uh, because she's trapped, and I don't think she can do anything by herself. (laughs) Two, two, she would appreciate that when I was younger, Many people felt I looked like Britney Spears to a ridiculous degree, which I did not entirely agree with. But I was like, okay, there was a small child at Six Flags who did have Down syndrome who thought I was Britney Spears when I worked there. A year-long period after came out that everyone thought I was Zach Galifianakis. Okay, I remember the bouncer. I remember the bouncer. I was getting into a bar. The bouncer pulled me out of line to say I looked like Zach Galifianakis. And then I was was at the same bar the next week, and he pulled me out of line to say, are you the person that I pulled out of line last week to say you look like Zach Galifianakis? <laughs> I said yes, and he said, just checking. I don't need to see your ID. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> it was a fucking... I got accosted by the people who sold weed on the corner of my apartment in Washington Heights who made me take a picture the- with them because I looked like hangover guy. It was the Continental Bar. Yeah, it was the Continental. That, um, it was in um, East Village. West Village. East Village. Yeah, East Village. doesn't exist anymore. Their most famous thing was like they had some like 10 shots. Six shots for $12. Yeah, it was some number of shots for <laughs> some number of dollars. They had it on a side. Or five. Um, it was... It was- it was a place where NYU students went to yeah, get was, drunk on Friday night. It was a night. fucking nightmare of a place. One of the bouncers looked like Slash. <laughs> Absolutely. He had a top hat. Yeah, no, he wore a, a Slash stovepipe. Like, he was intentionally attempting to look like Slash. It wasn't like... It wasn't like I me love, looking I like Zach Galifianakis. It was... That. that just comes from having brown hair, a beard, and being fat. Um, this guy... This is- Getting to our Axel Rose discussion, I want to add. Marlo's got to go. He already revealed too much about yeah. himself and what he looks like. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna smoke my and mom's I, I will also say um, that I was not, I was not attempting to actually look like Britney Spears. I just have a face that resembles her, and I was blonde for a time. I am, I periodically am blonde, but that's why I think Britney Spears would never sue me. Um, also, I would free her. Absolutely. 
Free Britney uh, from the prison that she lives. Free, oh, free her and her young young boyfriend, um, who are seemingly both trapped in this weird palace. She burned down her gym. Guys, check on Britney. Uh, this has been Pinko Kami Sluts. Um, I'm Bunny Themelis. You can find me on Twitter at Bunny Themelis. I'm Steven. I'm Steven at, at Pinko Steve and Marlo's. Yeah, Marlo. No, not. Shrouded. Uh, um, yeah, no, Marlo, have a good night or whatever. Look, join our Patreon to send Marlo a care package uh, at his parents' house. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to smoke my mom's bong. Um, Bye. Goodbye. And goodbye. Good. I think I did it again. I made you believe. We're more than just friends.